Does anyone know how old this water is? It's all right. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come and have a look at your word, we want to hear what you're saying to us. Father, the writer of the Hebrews here says that in the word the Holy Spirit is speaking to your people. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit might speak to us this evening to challenge our faith, to encourage us in our faith. And Father, if there's anyone here who's not yet a believer, we pray that your Holy Spirit will work in their heart to bring them to faith. Father, we ask that you will help us to listen to what you are saying and not to blow it off, but to think about it and apply it to our life. And Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please have a seat. I just know that I can't sit for too long without getting a numb tush. Am I allowed to say that? No. No one else is like me. Do not harden your hearts. Just a little bit of a um, a recap to start with over the last couple of weeks. Pastor Darrell spoke last week about this idea in, in verses 1 to 6 that Jesus is greater than Moses. If you remember back in the first couple of chapters, we had Jesus is greater than the apostles and Jesus is greater than the angels. And therefore, if Jesus is greater than the angels and the message that he gives is greater, then if you reject the message that they gave, think how much problem you're going to have if you reject the message that Jesus brings. Well, last week it was Jesus is greater than Moses. And, and the writer of the Hebrews says, well, there's two reasons he's greater. One, well, obviously the creator is greater than the creation. The builder of the house is greater than the house itself. And then he says, the son is greater than the servant. Moses was a servant in the house of God. Jesus is the heir of the house of God, in fact, of everything. And as I was thinking through that this week, in preparation for this week, it's fascinating looking back to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, where he says exactly the same two things, speaking about Jesus. He says, but in these last days he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, he's the son, and through whom he made the universe, he's the creator. And so in the first six verses of chapter 3, the writer to the Hebrews says, Jesus is greater than Moses. Now, in chapters 1 and 2, he said if he's greater than the, than the prophets and the angels, and therefore if you reject his message, don't reject this message, he then says, Let's have a look at how people treat, in, the, in what we're discussing this evening, how people treated Moses. And look at what happened to those who rejected what Moses had done. And if Jesus is greater than Moses, and we see what happened to those who rejected Moses, what happens to those who treat what Christ has done and given in a similar way to what they treated Moses like? That's the first thing in the recap. So in the second point, at the end of verse 6, we didn't quite cover all of this last week, and he said, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. And that's what leads into what we're talking about today. 
This is the second of the warning passages in Hebrews. Just have a quick look at that. And we are his house, his people, his body. We are, if you like, Christians, if we hold on to our courage and the hope which we boast. That is one of those really big ifs. I don't know if you can see it up there. I'll put it in yellow. Because what he talks about from verse 7 to verse 19 is trying to work out what really that if means to us. If we are his house, present tense, or as we get little baby, he says, if you are a child of God, and we can tell if we are, if we hold on to our courage and hope, if we continue. Don't think about this as ways of working out whether you can or can't lose your salvation, you can or can't be a part of the house. What he basically says is if you're in the house, well, you're in the house. But you tell whether or not you're in the house by whether or not you continue in your salvation whether or not you continue in the hope that you have. He doesn't say whether you don't, if you don't continue, then that changes your status. But he says if you continue, you know that you're in the house. This he now comes out to explain for us in a little bit more detail what it means to, if you like, remain and the possibility there that there are people who think they're in the house or who start really well they think, in the Christian faith, but end up really not being in the house at all. Let's move on, we'll get to it a little bit more. Alright, so he then goes on in verse 7 and gives a little warning from Israel's history. And he starts off at the beginning of verse 7. So, as the Holy Spirit says. Now, as a little aside from the argument, just for the fun of it, because I thought it was interesting. In, in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, as he's starting to talk about, uh, he's going to quote some scripture. He quotes from um, one of the Psalms and he says in verse 5, in chapter 1, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, I have become your father? And so this, this passage from the Old Testament, which he's quoting, he assigns to the person of the father. Then in chapter 2, in verses 11 and 13, again he quotes a passage from the Old Testament. And in verse 11 he says, Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I'll sing your praise. And then now, in chapter 3, verse 7, when he's again going to quote a passage of Scripture, he says, for as the Holy Spirit says. I, I, that interested me, the fact that in the first three chapters, the three quotations, he puts them together as coming from the triune God. God is speaking in Scripture. And he uses the present tense as he's talking to his congregation, the, the writer to the Hebrews, as he's preaching this, or as he's writing this, he says to them, so as the Holy Spirit says. And he's talking about Psalm 95. And he's looking back and he says, back then the Holy Spirit said this and now the Holy Spirit says this. And I think that's important as we come to this evening. 
as the Holy Spirit says. God's word isn't something we're looking about from the past, it's something that God is saying now. What the writer of the Hebrews is talking about to that church then, God is also saying to us now, to people who call themselves the house of God. He then goes on in the rest of verses 7 through to 11 to quote from Psalm 95. Now, Psalm 95 was an interesting psalm. From about the Middle Ages onwards, the synagogues would start every Sabbath with the quotation of Psalm 95. And there's some indication that that had started a lot earlier. So when the writer to the Hebrews is talking to this church and he quotes this passage, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Those who had grown up in the Jewish faith understood what this meant because every single Sabbath, as they came to worship, they read this. They quoted this. They started their service this way. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah. This was what the Jews understood. So when he uses this quotation, he's grabbing something that they know and he says, look what happened to the people of Israel who disobeyed Moses. And what we have in verses 7 to 11 of chapter 3 is a direct quotation from chapter 7, sorry, verses 7 to 11 in Psalm 95. And it says in the book of Hebrews, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. Now, if you read back in, in Psalm 95, that same verse, it says, Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert. And there's that difference between them, because in Psalm 95 he uses these two place names, which is the same place. And in Hebrews he talks about testing and about rebellion. The reason is that the word Meribah means quarrelling or rebellion and the word Massa means testing. I don't know how many of you remember the story, but what happened was the people of Israel had come out of Egypt. God had shown himself in an amazing and mighty way in Egypt. He had sent the plagues on Israel. And about one and a half million people, 600,000 men, their wives, their children had left Egypt because the power of God had been at work. They took with them an enormous plunder from the people of Israel and they disappeared in the morning after that final horrible last tenth plague. And then as they got to the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army came afterwards and God opened up the river before them, the the sea, and they went over on dry land. And then the people behind, the, the, the Egyptians came through and they were destroyed destroyed by God and the people came out of the Red Sea onto the other side and it's just a month or so later as they're travelling through with the cloud going before them they see God's presence every day and they rock up to this place called Merah, Massa and Meribah, it wasn't called that yet and there's no water they couldn't find any And they start to complain. They start to whine. So in chapter 17 of the book of Exodus it says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, travelling from place to place as the Lord commanded. 
They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarrelled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But, well, the people were thirsty for water. And they grumbled against Moses and they said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I going to do with these people? They had come out. They had started so well. They had seen God at work. They were made into a people of God. And when they got out, the pressures started to come and they began to argue and test against God. They began to complain. They began to say, you're not really looking after us. You're not really helping us. We almost wish we were back there. We almost wish that things were like the way they were beforehand. It's just not what we want, God. But it didn't continue then. If you go on in Psalm 95, it then goes on to talk about what happened at Kadesh. Later on, as they travel through this journey, what began as a simple questioning and querying against God, not trusting in his faithfulness, by the time they got through to Numbers chapter 13, as we're talking about, they're ready to enter the promised land. They had travelled so far. What began as just a, a grumbling and a querying, what began as a, we're not really confident that you're really looking after us, God, turned into outright rebellion. And Numbers 13 talks about how the spies go into the land and they come back out and say, they're too big for us. We can't cope with them. God isn't going to help us is what they're basically saying. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, it's all right, don't worry about it. God's with us. They're the only two who have this idea that God is the same God who brought them out of Egypt, but everybody else says no. And what happens? Joshua and Caleb are almost stoned by the people and God is ready to kill all of the Israelites until Moses intervenes. And God does forgive his people, but he said they will not enter my rest. What began as a grumbling and a complaining against not really trusting, if you like, unbelief, ended up at the end with an almost rejection, a rebellion against what God told them to do. They were against the message that Moses had brought. They were against the salvation, if you like, that through Moses had been brought about for them. And it showed itself in a whole number of ways. It showed itself in a huge negative attitude towards what God could do. And they weren't trusting anymore. I don't know. I talk to Christians sometimes or people who have been Christians for a while and they come back and they say, look, I really, uh, I, I really wish I had the same faith I did when I became a Christian. I just know so much more and it's a lot harder to believe now as they've moved down the pathway, they kind of have become more and more understanding that they are able to make their final decisions on things. They, they read more of the scriptures and they begin to doubt God more. 
or they interact with other Christians and they find it really hard to trust in God. And they begin to get these negative attitudes towards the Lord, how much he loves them, how much he cares about them. And they say, I really wish I could go back to that childlike faith that I had at the beginning when I just trusted God. But then it goes further. Not only to have a negative attitude, but it, it influenced the relationships that they had with other people. They were prepared to kill Joshua and Caleb. This is the example, the warning that the writer of the Hebrews says to the church. He says, this is what happened to the people of Israel who started so well on their journey. They came out of Egypt, but almost immediately they started to doubt God and what began as complaining, which had its root in unbelief, ended up in rebellion And the judgment on that rebellion was they weren't allowed to go into the promised land. In other words, he said, that one and a half million people, those 600,000 men who left, filled six, well, they filled 599,998 graves in the desert. God would not let them enter the promised land. That was what happened to those who rejected Moses. And why does he say that? Because he wants to say to the church, what is going to happen then if you, me, I, reject the faith that we start walking along with God because of our really fundamental unbelief? He says, do you think God's going to behave anything differently than that? And so he gives this warning. So we come to verses 12 to 15. He says in verse 12, See to it, brothers, or as Brad said, brothers and sisters, we the family of God. See to it, brothers, that none of you has an unbelieving heart. I know that often when I've heard sermons about being faithful and being not wavering, one of the things that firstly comes into my mind is, well, I better stop doing this, this, and I better start doing this, this. And I start to to focus in on behaviours all of a sudden because I remember that I don't really read my scriptures all the time. Like I don't pray continually every day. I don't love everybody. In fact, there's some people I... Not here, but I just don't like. And so I start thinking, well, I need to get my behaviour right because that's going to put me okay and I'm not going to waver. But the right to Hebrews doesn't say that. He says, protect your heart. He says, the, the unbelief that you have, which flows from your heart, your attitude that you have with God, that's what needs to be protected. That's what needs to be focused on. What is your relationship with God? Not what you do for God, but do you love God? Do you admit he is God? Do you recognise what he's done for you? He says, that's what needs protecting. 
sometimes it amazes me as I stand in church and I watch the people around me. I wasn't watching anyone today. I just got to let you know that. So this isn't aimed at anybody. And they're just standing there with their hands in their pockets, not singing, not praising God. I think one of two things. Either they don't know the words. Three things. They're completely not musical and we're glad they don't sing. Or they're not really getting involved in praising God. They're not really having this attitude. Look, I just want to tell God how great he is. Or you talk to some people and, and they just don't have that love for Jesus. And the writer of the Hebrews says, if you want to not be in the situation where you don't continue, because if you don't continue, it means you never were in the first place. Because if you are of the household of God, you will continue. He says, the way you make certain is to make sure that this is real. Protect your heart. Keep your heart focused on God. Keep your heart believing in the Lord. Have that confidence in God and what he's done. Right, the book of Revelation says, return to your first love. I don't know if you've ever met new Christians. You've all probably, well, you've all been a new Christian. But do you remember what it was like back then when you were actually excited about Jesus? And you just couldn't help telling people about him? You just wanted to let folk know how great God was. Well, that's what the people in Israel were like when they left the Promised Land. As they walked through the Red Sea, the tribe of Ephraim was banging tambourines and all the chicks were out there with their tambourines and they were all praising Jesus. Everybody heard what was happening. Couldn't get enough of it. A couple of months later, they're just complaining because they can't have a drink of water. They want to go back and eat onions. Protect your heart. Understand. But then he says in verse 13, but, or think your brothers that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Keep focused on God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This is the idea of community. It's fascinating as you read through the story in in the book of Exodus and Numbers and all those places, the people kind of help each other to be sinful. Whereas the opposite is what's supposed to be the case. We're we're supposed to encourage one another. We see someone who's not focusing on God, who hasn't got their heart turned towards God, and we encourage them in it. We keep them accountable. It's one of the reasons you find that as people begin to move away from God, often they move away from the fellowship of God. They take a step outside of the church. They want to be on their own. They don't want to join in with others. They don't want to pray with others. Because one of the things that happens as we're with other people is that they encourage us in our faith. We see God working in their lives and we take encouragement from that. And so what the writer of the Hebrews says is, Guys, protect your heart and encourage one another. Not once a week, daily. He says, encourage one another all the time. So that, why, none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Why does God put us in a congregation like this, a community like this? It's to keep all of us on track. 
twice a week the staff here at the church meet for devotions and we talk through the scriptures, we study a passage. It's not just because we don't know it yet and we have to have something to say on Sundays. It's this encouraging one another, praying for one another, lifting one another up to help each of us to be focused. So if you're not there, if you meet once a week on a Sunday evening with Christians and you don't really have an opportunity to chat with them and talk with them and have them share with you, well, the writer of Hebrews is saying, find some other place to do it. Join a life group. Get in a connect group. Get in a ministry. Get into a couple. Get together with another Christian. Say, look, how about you meet with me once a week for coffee and I'll we'll talk through Jesus for a while. Get together with two other people and have a little accountability group once a month or once every two weeks. If you're not in that, he says there's a real danger that your heart will become hardened to God. Your, the unbelief that might be in your heart will begin to take root. You'll begin to become quarrelsome. you begin to fracture in your relationships with other believers and finally you'll just walk away. Most of the people whom I've talked to who at one time would have said I'm a believer and now say I don't love Jesus at all. I want nothing to do with it. Almost every single one of those that I've talked to, their problem is the interpersonal relationships that they've had with other people in the church. Almost all of them. Something's come between them. And the right to the Hebrews says no, that's just not on. Encourage one another. And then thirdly, Protect your hearts, encourage one another. And then in verse 14 he says, We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. He said, persevere through to the end. We've talked about this beforehand. The Holy Spirit does live within our hearts and he gives us an assurance that we belong to Christ. When we went through the series on the Holy Spirit, we said that one of the ways that that works is that as we live according to the pattern that Christ has called us to, as we live that life, as we have the Holy Spirit working through us, we have this assurance from him that yes, you're a believer. And if you don't persevere, if you don't do those things, then it's almost as if the Holy Spirit can't give you that assurance. Now, these passages back in verse 6 and, and the ones that have come up with like this one, it says, we have come to share in Christ. We know we're a Christian. How? If we hold firm to the end by our perseverance. I sometimes talk to people and say, you know, what, what can you tell me about Jesus? And they say, well, I went forward to the Billy Graham crusade. That's my story. You say, yeah, okay, cool. What do you know about Jesus? Billy Graham hasn't been in Australia for so long, you have no idea. They say, well, you know, I'm a Christian because I went forward to the Billy Graham crusade. Does that prove they're a Christian? This verse says, no, we know that we have Christ. We know we're a part of his family. What? if we hold firm to the end. I want you to think about, just for a moment, we're going to have about 20 seconds silence while you think about your own life. Think about your relationship with Christ Jesus. 
Does the relationship that you have with Christ Jesus have anything to do with the last few months or weeks? Or is it all back beforehand in the past? 20 seconds starts now. Think about your life, your relationship with Jesus, your walk, your growth, your love, your hope. If as you've thought through, your mind goes back to your relationship with Christ, being on what happened in Sunday school, being what happened at some meeting, being something that was beforehand but not recent, then this verse says you really need to take a long hard look and say, am I persevering? Because those who are in Christ will persevere. Those who do not persevere are not and have not been in Christ, is what this passage is saying. So if your relationship with Christ is a thing of the past and you're just holding on, you're like one of those seeds that had it watered and it began to take root but then the pressures of the world came and you're in the process of drying up. And so what the writer to Hebrews says is, make certain that you persevere to the end. That's his application. Conclusion. Verses 15 to 19. As it had just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion. This again is the Holy Spirit speaking. No longer now, talking back to the people in the time of Moses. No longer now talking back to the people in the time when the psalm was written. No longer now written back to the time of where the book of Hebrews was read. But now being said to us, he says this, Today, now, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion. Make certain that you do not have a sinful and unbelieving heart. Make certain today that you encourage one another and make certain that you persevere. And then he has three couplets of questions. The first of the questions asks the main question. The second of the questions answers it as a question. And his first one is in verse 16 and he says this, Who were those who heard and rebelled? And then he answers it with a question. Was it not they who were, were not they all those Moses led out of Egypt? In other words, he says, well, who rebelled? Well, those that God led out of Egypt. It's telling me I've preached almost long enough. Who was it who rebelled? Those who led out of Egypt. What's his point here in his conclusion? Who has the opportunity to rebel? Those who have started on the journey. There's this idea of 
in Christianity today, evangelical Christianity today, that if you've, if you've come to church, you put your hand up, you've said the prayer, you've been dunked, you can almost do what you like with your life and you're in. It's kind of this unconditional love of God that people talk about. What the writer of the Hebrews says, well, the unconditionality is there. If God justifies you, saves you, brings you into his family, then yes, unconditionally you're his. But don't think you do that and unconditionally it's, it's all there. There's a perseverance factor that's tied in. Who was it who rebelled? Those who had started on the journey. And then down to verse 17. And with whom was God angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose body fell in the desert? Everybody started on the journey. Who was it who filled the graves in the desert? Well, those that God was angry with. And who was the ones that he was angry with? Those who sinned. And we get down in verse 18, he says, they weren't able to enter because of their unbelief. And earlier back, how does unbelief show itself? with quarrelling, with testing God, with not thinking God's sufficient, with not interacting with fellow believers, with beginning to harden our hearts against God, not thinking about him, not being interested in him. So who's God angry with? We don't like the idea of God being angry. It's those who sin, those who have unbelief, those who are testing him and quarrelling against him and saying, we really don't want you. And how's that evidenced? The evidence is that unbelieving heart just shows itself out in all sorts of ways. Negativity. Interpersonal relationships being broken. Not focusing daily with God, etc. And then his third question at the end, which I think is the main thrust of all of this for us to pick up. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest? And he answers this with a question. If not to those who disobeyed. And he goes on to say that that disobedience is evidenced in their unbelief or that disobedience was evidence of their unbelief. That's Hebrews chapter 3, the end of it. From his example, the writer of the Hebrews says, Moses, a creation of God, part of the house of God, leads the people out of Egypt and they rebel against him as servant of God and they were not allowed into the rest. His warning is to us, Christ, who has provided a way of salvation no longer to be slaves to sin and living in the kingdom of darkness, but to live in the kingdom of light. He has saved his people. If people reject that by their unbelief, by the hardening of their hearts, in the same way as the people of Israel did not enter the rest, those people who, even if they've started on the journey, do not persevere to the end. They are those who, even though the seed is taken root, it withers up and dies and is pulled out and thrown away and they will not enter the rest. 
And so his application to us is not something hypothetical. I suppose this is where I want to get to because I know that a lot of you people are actually believers. You will persevere through to the end. But he's talking to a church, all of whom would say that, I think. And so the application that he gives them is things that I want you to take away with you tonight. And the first of those ones is don't have an unbelieving heart. Look back to the hope and the confidence you had at the beginning and have that confidence in God. We've matured, we know more, we should have a greater confidence in God, a greater joy in God, a greater amazement at what God does. Secondly, for each of you, encourage one another daily. At the end of the service, talk to the people around you. Don't talk about whether or not people won or whether Queensland's going to win the Sheffield Shield or what's going to happen with Bly Baby. Don't discuss that stuff. Talk about your faith with one another. Encourage one another in how great God is and all that God has done. And throughout the week, take time out to talk with one another. If you go from Sunday to Sunday without talking to other believers, this writer is saying you're in danger. And you're on dangerous territory. So don't do that. Find Christians, talk to them throughout the week. Encourage yourselves, encourage one another. And then finally, persevere, keep going. Often, sometimes when Christians have been a long time Christians, and I'm not talking most of you, because you've only been Christians for a short time, I'm thinking some of the older ones, kind of get into your 60s and 70s, and you kind of think, well, I kind of have a break now. You know one of the people who really encourages me, I'm not, are we supposed to mention people's names? It's an encouraging name, it's not a bad name. I've got a nod then, sort of, it's a very faint nod. You know one of the people who encourages me the most here? Dora. Hi, Dora. Dora provided the communion stuff here tonight. I don't know if you're supposed to say how old Dora is, but go and ask her how old she is. She is an absolute blessing, I think, in the church. Why? Because she is so faithful and ongoing and persevering. So every time I come and we share communion together, my mind says, isn't it wonderful, this saint of God, how they're persevering through to the end and being faithful. Don't give up. Don't have a break. When was the last time you shared your faith with someone? When was the last time you got on knees and asked God to do something absolutely miraculous? Persevere through to the end. Let's pray.